Welcome to a very special episode of Pop Culture Failure. Welcome to a very special episode of Pop Culture Failure. I am Sky. I'm Jake. And today we are not reviewing one of the episodes of Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation. Instead, we interviewed somebody who worked on that show. What? We interviewed Rick Orner. He was on-set mechanic, keeping the animatronic heads working. And he also was the temporary voice for the Dragon Lord and the Dragon Lord's uh, primary puppeteer. He literally answers all the questions you could have about this show. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. Um... A lot of points that we make, he covers. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And I have a better appreciation for his show. And I feel a little bad for um, bad-mouthing the lip-syncing of the robot. <laughs> but it's not his fault. No, it's not. It's you'll find out why. Don't yeah. don't they'll just stop now, Sky. Uh, I suppose that's true. They'll be like, oh, okay, and then it'll be off. Uh we also didn't mention to him the overall tone of the show. So Rick, uh if you feel betrayed, I am indeed sorry. It's entirely Sky's fault. No, I asked Jake if we should tell you and he said no. That's not it. Yeah, I have documented evidence of that. <laughs> I take screenshots, bitch. Anyway. I'm not I don't know. How to segue into Anyway, it. enjoy this interview with Rick Orner. You never listened to a fucking podcast before? <laughs> and joining us today for this very special episode is Rick Orner. Hey, how's it going? Hey, we're doing great. And thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, it's really awesome to have you here. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us what you did for uh, Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation? Yeah, tell us tell us who you are. Like, we, we tracked right. you down on the internet, and uh, <laughs> now this is your moment. Yeah, this is all because I, I happened to comment on a, a web page that like, hey, on set, I was the Dragon Lord. Yeah. And, uh, Which is awesome. Yeah. Well, it was fun to do. You know, of course, it's not my voice in it, and I wasn't in the suit because I don't. I'm a tall, skinny guy. I had a big, big, <laughs> muscly guy wearing that. You don't uh, have a dragon's build. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, basically, I uh, at the time I've, I've been a freelance uh, special effects artist uh, pretty much since '90. I think is when I got into that field. My first movie was the Honey I Shrunk the Kids sequel. Oh, really? Built a built a giant uh, stuffed animal with the shop. You know, I was a low man on the totem pole in that job. That's and still then... cooler than anything we've ever done. <laughs> That's true. So and then, it was a yeah. giant bunny, right? Like a giant pink bunny. Yeah, it was like a stuffed animal that you know, because the little little kid gets turned into a giant, <laughs> yeah. and they and the stuffed animal is, and they're using they're hanging it from a helicopter to, <laughs> to lure, lure the baby. The yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. And That's a then, good movie. And of course, classically, the, uh, the I, I did the full size body was was my project that I worked on with you know with a handful of people, and uh, I didn't see it in the theater because I was busy when that movie was out, and uh, so then I waited until it was on VHS at the time, you know, and uh, I got the tape, and of course, it wasn't widescreen; it was oh, it was no. So I watched the whole movie, got to the end credits, and I could see, like, oh, yeah, just off the side of the screen is what I did. <laughs> so, classic. You know? If it helps, it's... I think I might have seen that in the theater. Oh, nice. I'm glad somebody appreciated it. Uh, but, yeah, that, that kind of stuff always happens. It's always, like, uh, like one of the movies I worked on with uh, 
this awesome shop uh guy rick lazzarini who was the guy who designed the alien uh the queen aliens me- mechanisms for stan winston he has his own shop okay. uh the character uh the character shop and uh, he, uh i was working for him on mimic and it was a real thrill that they did one shot i did the abdomen on the mimic creatures the outer shell <laughs> that was my little private project and uh there is a shot when it, it pans down and it's full screen wiggling around. And it's like so rare when you, you know, you work on these things for like three months and sometimes it's like, yeah, man, you can't really see anything I did, <laughs> but you know, but you just have to be happy. You got the paycheck and yeah, it's and, fair. And, you kept your, still... and you kept your boss happy. So you get hired again, get to work <laughs> on another project. But so anyway, the Ninja Turtles, uh, I, went in i was working for kyoto brothers uh you know this is all freelance stuff but uh kyoto brothers are like awesome guys nicest guys in the business it's three italian brothers i believe they're from new jersey i could be getting that wrong (laughs) but they um they did like large marge in peewee's big adventure they're they do stop motion and puppets and uh they did uh uh, team america world police they did all those puppets They're just, and they're the nicest guys in the world. And, you know, any, anybody who's worked with them knows that like, yeah, they're, they're like the real deal. They're not a bunch of jerks and, you know, they're super great guys. Um, and I was working with them. Uh, I think it's the only movie that I worked on that I never saw was the, uh, uh, we did props for the, uh, the carrot top movie, uh, <laughs> chairman of the board. I don't think I saw that one. I was yeah, aware that Carrot Top had a movie. Yeah, I, I worked on it, and it's the one movie I'm like, yeah, nah, it's okay. I don't need to I, I did see Carrot Top live once, and it was really yeah. surprisingly funny. Okay. Yeah, I just thought, you know, it would have been hard because, you know, if a guy's doing prop comedy, but you built the prop, so like you're not really going to appreciate the guy. You know, yeah, it's like, I guess wait, that's I, true. I'm getting these last, not him, you know, <laughs> right. But yeah, I did a head polisher or something for bald guys. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, and then the, the Kyoto brothers said, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to be doing this Ninja Turtle thing. You want to stay on and work on that. And, um, the head mechanic in the build was this guy, Wes Kafer, who I learned a lot of great stuff from. He was really experienced in doing animatronic heads and we had some other guys there and it was just a great crew and we built what do we have to do three heads for each of the five turtles because there was a girl turtle of course so yeah because there you'd need an a and a b head so that you could have one working and be fixing one and then you'd need a third (laughs) one just in case because you can't you know the first rule in in film production is if you're making the entire crew stand around and wait for you you're blowing it you know because it's thousands of dollars flying out the window um so you know we we had a lot to build so we had to kind of figure out a way to automate it and uh we we made skulls that had the teeth incorporated and all the mounting points uh we made molds for that and we cast them out of fiberglass we we built these things and i think there were 16 servos per head so there was a lot going on just to be packed around someone's head and the one inch around <laughs> yeah. their head. How, how uh, heavy was? How heavy were the heads? They're not not overly heavy. Probably you know five pounds or something. They they not terrible. But they were they were really loud when they were inside. Like oh, no. um, when I put one on, it was it reminded me of like if you were in a, a 
pet shop that sold a lot of parrots and they were all squawking <laughs> at the same time. It was like that level of just obnoxious. But the, the way it worked is the actors had um, earbuds in that went to a little wireless thing that the sound guy could send them the audio from the puppeteers. Okay. Um, and so the puppeteers had all these cases that we had, we had built um, uh, and you'd open up the cases and there was two joysticks and a laptop and it used a like wireless modem to communicate. It was, it was pretty high tech. Uh, and uh, I didn't design the electronics and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> and so they would sit there and they could puppeteer the faces while they would read the lines out loud. And then the actors wearing the suits would hear the dialogue and then they could do the body motions in response to that. But they were pretty, they were almost blind uh, in there because basically if you look, carefully look at the bottom edge of the mask you'll see there's little tiny slits right on the bottom edge of the mask yeah just under, uh, under, the, under uh, the, eyes. the eye mask yeah yeah and we have now in the background yeah. occasionally they will bump into things <laughs> oh yeah uh, yeah you, sh you should see the outtakes there's there's in one episode like um somebody was like i think somebody was like tossing mikey a softball or something in the middle of the shot you know it's just like hey mikey here like that and he throws the softball over and that took so many takes because there's two guys who can't see at all wearing gloves with only two fingers trying to grab a ball that they it was just total random chance that he <laughs> it sounds it. fantastic though oh yeah there's there is a lot yeah there's some good uh, also sometimes when like the electronics would glitch out and like the eyes would just start rolling random places and the lips would move around it just there were some pretty ridiculous looking moments <laughs> So anyway, getting back to the, the beginning of the story. The, uh, so I, I went and did the thing for the Kyoto brothers. And then they nicely asked me if I wanted to go up with the crew uh, uh, to uh, maintain the suits on set. There was basically only three of us who could go up because uh, shooting in Canada, you can't bring a lot of American crew with you. You know, you're supposed to hire locally. So actually, when we got to Canada, Canadian authorities pulled each of the three of us aside and we were um separately interrogated as to why a canadian couldn't do the same job you know and, and for me it was pretty easy i was just like well i built this thing and nobody in canada knows how it works so that's why full canadian crew of dressers and technicians when we get there so it's good for canada and they were like all right good to go and uh it you know so basically the show was um, Saban did it after the success of Power Rangers and then they thought mm -hmm. well why don't we you know resurrect the Ninja Turtle franchise and make a Ninja Turtle one you know unfortunately they I don't think they realize that there's going to be a lot more to it when you make the faces move unlike the Power <laughs> Rangers where uh, yeah. <laughs> you can just shoot stuff and dub anything in later yeah so helmets are very more... different from animated faces yeah. You know, it's a little more to do, but I mean, one thing I've noticed is like, if you read on the webpage or the Wikipedia article, it talks about how it didn't do that well. Mm -hmm. And actually the show, I think was the Fo number one show on Fox kids that year. Like it actually got viewers, but what it didn't do was sell toys because ah. the toys were crappily made and the toys don't match the turtles in the show. Really? Like, yeah. Sort of a different style. They're horrible. And, and, you know, and that was right at the time when like the McFarland toys had just yeah. kind of taken off and the, that quality was out there now. 
And just so in comparison, the toys were really lame. And so the <laughs> fact that the toys didn't sell is the real reason why the show was canceled. There's, oh, there's an inside scoop. That's, <laughs> it's an exclusive here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, it, I think it did fairly well. Uh, you know, I think it was a, a pain in the butt for them to shoot. And uh, so basically they, it was Saban using a cheaper subsidiary in, uh, in Canada, which is Shavik Studios, I believe, if I remember the name correctly, which was basically some old like in welding warehouses where they used <laughs> to make parts for bridges that had yeah. been converted into a, a movie studio in quotes. I'm, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see <laughs> Uh, and it was basically an alley with a couple of warehouses off it and, uh, some, you know, dressing room trucks parked in it and a generator sitting out in the alley and, you know, and, and one, one had a permanent set, which was the sewer, which was built up, I don't know, five feet off the ground because that had to have the drop part for the train car to sit in ah, the oh, splinters yeah, yeah. car. So that whole thing was built up. Uh, so that was a, that was a cool set to hang out on. Um, we shot two episodes every seven shooting days. Jeez, so, wow. that is so yeah, hilarious. so it was, we, we had to work fast and basically every, every episode, if you look at it, it's pretty much half the episode is fighting and half the episode is dialogue. Mm -hmm. So we had two, two units running at any time. And so I, I stayed with the main unit that did the, did all the faces because that's where all the animatronic heads, the stunt team, had um paula a friend of mine was the, she was in charge of that and she um had this stunt team there and they had these foam heads basically with they had kind of posable lips and eyelids that just had you know uh armature wire in them so you could okay. pose them yeah. into exciting faces <laughs> unfortunately i've noticed that like the DVD release has those heads on it and they're posed horribly. <laughs> so it just looks awful. Um, and the stunt guys also never liked that they had to see through tiny little slits. So they were always pulling them open wider. So especially during the stunts, if you look, you'll notice that the, the eyes are like un the little slit at the bottom of the mask. They're like sometimes are pulled way wide, way oh, open. Wide, and it just looks awful. Um, but basically, so those guys would be out doing this fighting scenes and there was a the stunt coordinator and it was he ended up directing all the fighting sequences like a second unit director. And then we'd have a new director for every seven days of shooting and they, we'd knock out two episodes. So basically we had the equivalent of one episode per unit to, right. to shoot. Um, and let's see, we did, uh, you know, you know, so there was a lot to do and we just had to make sure that it all worked well. And the other thing is our crew had to be there an hour before and we could leave an hour after because we had to get all our stuff out and set up and working and then we had to put it away. Right. So we were doing uh, 12 hour days most days. <laughs> so we were doing 14 hours and then, uh, you know, the, the whole deal with the turtles only going out at night meant that all exterior shoots were night shoots. So we tended to start the week doing night shoots and then they would try to push it as, as fast as possible back to be day daytime by the end of the seven days. So <laughs> like, the way it worked out is like the camera crew union, they got at least eight hours off, but subtract two hours from that for us. So 
we'd be on for like 14 off for six on for 14 off for six on for 14 off for six we just we just go the whole week and then i would sleep saturday and then (laughs) poke around vancouver sunday and then go back and have fun um but you know i mean the, the the nice thing was I worked for the Kyoto brothers and not for that production company. So, (laughs) you know, my, my responsibility was to the Kyoto brothers, make sure their suits look good, make sure they're working, make sure that there's no downtime, uh, make sure that everything's working smoothly. So when things were working well, I could kind of relax and about probably about halfway through the shoot, I just got, we got sick of hearing the, the set chatter on the uh, walkie talkies because you know just <laughs> usually on a movie set your walkie talkies just constantly like okay lock it up or uh, rolling da, 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 you know just constantly <laughs> blasting out of your walkie talkie and we were like how about if we get a special turtle channel so we can communicate to each other and then if anything goes wrong you just switch over to this channel and ask for us and it was great because then we could just uh, walk, the radio would just be silent and I could just relax and, you know, do some other little chores around there, get things ready. And and then all of a sudden I'd hear like, Mikey's not working. I just run in. Oh, yeah, this wire needs to be reconnected. Here you go. Nice. I and, think that uh, it's super rad that you had a turtle come specifically. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, and, and oh, and one thing that's cool, I, I if I can find it, I'll take a picture of it and send it to you guys. But uh, my my name tag on the set, they asked like what what title like my, what my position is and they just let me make it up so i actually had a name tag that said turtle mechanic on it so <laughs> fantastic I was like, I was like yep turtle mechanic glorious. uh it was intense and fun uh the guys who wore the suits uh uh leonardo was gabe donatello was richard uh rafael was mitch and michelangelo was jared and nicole was uh venus and it was a really hard job because it's i mean we we didn't have a nice refrigerated room to be in it was hot <laughs> for people in shorts and a t-shirt and these guys are wearing foam rubber oh, things with giant mechanical heads on and you know it's claustrophobic and hot and uh gabe in particular would was tended to sweat a lot and uh we'd pull his suit off and and gabe's the greatest guy in the world so i'm not putting him down at all but we'd pull his suit off and it would be pounds heavier you know just like you know uh but you know you gotta when you're working together and those kind of things you you get you know everyone's sacrifice for your art everyone's in close to each other and we all get used to each other's (laughs) smells and everything yeah it's just (laughs) what you're gonna do yeah. And so, you know, and those the other thing is foam latex suits. You can't throw them in a washing machine or something. They they have they can't really be washed properly. They're sponges, basically, right? Yeah. So what you do with with foam latex is you blast it with something to kill all the bacteria because that's what's really going to make it turn nasty. So you like like Lysol spray. You just <laughs> you just kill everything on it. And then you hang it in a room that was we, we had built that has space heaters in it and then a lot of airflow. Okay. And they just dry out. And we had multiple suits for each per each character. And they would just <laughs> so you basically disinfect them and then dry them. Right. So by the end of, you know, it was five and a half months we were up there. So by the end of that five and a half months, it was, you know, those suits had to have had like, you know, pounds of <laughs> salts and minerals and stuff that was in sweat you know and just collected in them 
Yeah. Nasty. Uh, uh, gross. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, <laughs> the music aren't as glamorous as they, <laughs> as, as they're made out to be, but, uh, but so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so you, was, you were saying that yeah, this wasn't properly like air conditioned or whatever. So how often would you have an actor pass out while wearing the suit? Uh, only one time did we, did it get that far? We were doing, you know, the rave episode. Yes, where yes. they have a rave party. <laughs> uh, yeah, poor. Uh, who was it? It was uh, Donatello. Okay. Uh, when in the middle of that crowd, because it was really hot that day, because there were so many bodies in there. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I was dripping, and I, I was wearing a shorts and a t-shirt, and there was like in the middle of one thing where they're dancing in the middle of the crowd, and he just went. Boom! He just dropped down. We're like, uh oh. He was hitting on those girls in. too hard. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what he does all of that episode. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a, he was the player, man. <laughs> I, I I always you know I I kind of I had a personal uh, I kind of liked Donnie because because uh, I was like the mechanical guy yeah, on yeah. set, so I was like, he's me. That's, you do machines. Uh, yeah. <laughs> although although in, in real life, uh, Mikey and I got into the most trouble like poking around because Jared was. <laughs> Jared was a madman. Uh, here's here's a little inside trivia. Jared, uh, who played who wore the Mikey suit, was in um, Stephen King's It, the original one. Oh, really? And uh, you know, there's like the bully. I don't know if I have, well, you guys know that movie, but there's the bully, a group of bullies that are mm-hmm. harassing the main kid. He's the, ma- the leader of the group of bullies, and then he, he when he sees it in person his hair turns white and you see him as an old man later in the mental hospital but that was jared was the main bully and the oh. guy who was kind of in that group of of uh, bullies uh who's kind of like the smaller guy in the group who's kind of like you're not gonna let him talk to you that way huh like that the guy who was that, that character that was gabe who played leonardo so nice Next time you watch it, you can see there's a couple of Ninja Turtles in there. Uh, the you know, like basically, I knew going into a project like that that if my job, part of my job is making sure that these guys are as comfortable as possible and they can do their work and not, con- you know, constantly be hindered by the suit. So I was and I wanted to make it as comfortable. And I'm, I was, I told them that right at the beginning. It's like if if. It, you, if something's rubbing somewhere we'll put a little bit of moleskin in it and we'll get it you know yeah. we'll work on this for you because i knew that we're the first people they're going to complain about if they're having a bad day because they're going to say <laughs> yeah. ah, the people are putting us in these horrible suits so <laughs> you know i and i ended up being kind of good friends i went to jared's wedding and oh, all, all kinds of stuff so so you know it's 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 a happy ending uh but we had a we, we went through a a weird and interesting you know brutal production schedule and uh how many weeks it, did you guys shoot then uh we like it was five and a half months five and a half months we were up there okay yeah and it was most most of the summer uh you know there were rainy days being vancouver so some of those days like if you look in the background there will be rain but there's a tent over the top of where we're actually shooting so <laughs> You know, but if you really look, it's like, oh, yeah, it is raining way back there because, you know, whenever it's outdoors, it's pretty much Stanley Park. And uh, there's uh, one of the most fun ones is there's that one time when they go to the aquarium and there's like the big, uh, the huge wall of tanks that are like like an orca inside. And that was fascinating because we were shooting at night and the entire time we were shooting that that 
Orca was just sitting right at the window, just watching because it was like, awesome. he was just like, whoa, you know, like yeah, you could tell it was like this is something interesting to watch. Like this is different. It was it, it was totally aware and watching, like probably trying to figure out like what the hell are those three, those four green guys doing running around? You know, couldn't figure it out. So but, the whales are Ninja Turtle fans, also. They that's live and learn. True. And uh, and the the reason why you guys uh, found me is because I had, I just made a comment on one of the uh, the Turtlepedia I guess it is yeah and I was it. just googling things about this show one day because I was <laughs> yeah yeah and so um, in addition to the turtle suits the Kyoto brothers provided uh, some of the makeup stuff like the uh, you know the Queez, uh mask that went around his face and they all had to be built to be kind of easy to take on and off because we didn't have time to be doing application of appliances and gluing things on yeah. and doing that level of makeup effects uh and they also did wick the the puppet um that you know two of our puppeteers who did uh mikey and Raphael, i believe i'm trying to remember who who did what but they also puppeteered wick and uh bill and adam uh great guys they had a they had an effects shop up there of their own and we got them as puppeteers and they did a lot of the great x-files monsters and stuff like that uh the degrees of like how things hook to the show are uh yeah yeah Yeah, there's all kinds of (laughs) and then do you you guys know that inside a splinter suit was a attractive girl is that right? We figured it was a, a girl because he's got a, a blonde girl body, yeah. but yeah, some, not... sometimes she walked a little dainty the way she walked <laughs> around. Yeah, uh, but it was Fiona, and she was super nice, and uh, yeah, that was that was fun. But so we basically we had these animatronic heads for the main characters, but the budget really didn't. The Kyoto Brothers couldn't talk them into coming up with more budget to do any well, of the it was a villains thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, they were used to every character on the power. Like nobody's mouth ever moves on the Power Rangers, right? right, right. All monsters just stand there, and so they didn't want to pay for a Dragon Lord to have a moving mouth at all. And so it got up. We got up there, and one day we were just sitting around and just going, like, you know what? Like, we called back to Kyoto Brothers, like, do you mind? I know they didn't want to pay for it, but we could probably just spend like an hour and just cut the jaw off and put in a hinge and throw one servo in there and use the standard radio control rig and just make his mouth move, you know, (laughs) just simple. I know they didn't pay for it, but we're already here and it's not going to, you know, we have an extra, we have the stuff laying around. We could do that and it'll just, it'll look so much better than just him not moving his mouth ever. That does answer one of my big questions is because like Mm -hmm. the turtles mouths have so much intricacy to them. Yeah. Their, Their lips like, snarl up and everything but the dragon lord looks really cool but his mouth doesn't move quite like the turtles does so yeah that makes sense so the turtles like if you want to know all like all the servos and the turtles let's see if i can remember all 16 (laughs) one one on each side uh for the main jaw motion they were paired together two for um two for left oh yeah it's basically two for each eye because there's left right up down motion for the eyes uh blink mechanism for each for the eyelids um one for each eyebrow motion um and then six of them around the mouth for the to move the lips right 
so we could uh you know you could kind of pinch to you know open up the middle and make a cue kind of sound or you can make a big wide thing you can make them smile oh there was also corner of the mouth bend upward and downward and uh they were pretty well automated there was one time when a character had to blink and we had to kind of go into our program and set it up so we could move just one eye independent of the other <laughs> you know so that was part of the deal you but didn't ask for this that was you know it was fun to that that was the fun stuff it's like improvising like oh how are we going to do that with this character yeah. um but uh so we got the dragon lord and we we were like we can do this thing but now you know now, if we're going to be moving the mouth, now somebody needs to puppeteer it when we're on the set. And um, and if you're going to be puppeteering, you're going to have to kind of read the lines out loud on the set, which is what all the puppeteers did for all the Ninja Turtles. True. So you, you would read the line and you could do the lip sync to that. Unfortunately, the guys who did the voices don't seem like they were really directed to like watch the rhythms uh, that the puppeteers originally did. <laughs> so the lip sync was actually much better on set. It's like don't you know there was really good lip sync by the by the last episodes when those guys really got it down there were some really good performers and puppeteers so cool to see (laughs) you know they actually puppeteer it yeah yeah like you know you could they really get like the mouth shapes perfect and it looked really good but then the guys who did the final voices uh which i don't know if you did you guys ever watch uh, Monk? Because the uh, on Monk, the guy who was the second in command of the police that they were dealing with, the kind of buffoon sidekick to the to the cop, that was the guy who did the voice of Donatello. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Nice. Uh, another connection. I think it's all it's you know what it is. It's it, these all these people are um, Vancouver uh, film industry people. So that's uh, yeah. And, so much did go on to do splinter in one of the michael bay movies so yeah yeah you know and it's like i'm sure you know like i know that people that were pas that are you know still facebook friends of mine that were dressing pas and stuff they've done art department on some of the cw uh like arrow and the flash and stuff i I, I saw in one of those shows there there was a graveyard scene and they went past a gravestone. I saw a name of somebody that we I worked with. I'm like, ah, <laughs> somebody slipped their name in. Yeah, that's awesome. But so you know, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll puppeteer the Dragon Lord. I'm I'm here. I I'm I'm going to be here every single day, standing around, and I'm a ham. I'll do, I'll do that. So uh, my Dragon Lord was a little different than he ended up being on the thing. But when I was doing it, it was always kind of like bring me the turtles you know i was like that, that kind of, you know i want their shells now and you know it's just it was just fun i mean it, it really is kind of a, a great kind of geek fantasy to be able to stand in a <laughs> you know a ninja turtle set setting with all these guys standing around and there's a big guy on stage and you're moving his mouth and you're saying making him talk and it's just like <laughs> yeah awesome you know also dragon lord has all uh, like most of my favorite lines he says weenie a lot and sweet <laughs> It yeah. makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, I, I, I think part of the, part of what was good about that show is that they kind of, they had fun with it and they didn't take it too seriously. And, uh, <laughs> That's true. you know, who was always great. Like we always loved when there was a bone steel episode because, <laughs> uh, the guy who played bone steel, uh, 
what was his name? Uh, uh, I, have, I, have, I have it right in front of me, so I could pull we it know up. It. Uh, we looked him up. Steve Blue? No, it's, it's no. the other Wolverine. It's the other Wolverine. Neil, uh, something. Uh... Yeah, anyway. But he was <laughs> a, uh, you know, a, a, you know, oh, Scott McNeil. That's, That's it. it. Yep. I can cut he it so was, it sounds uh, like we remember it right away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but yeah, Scott McNeil was uh, like, you know, he's a local comedy guy. He's done, if you look him up, you'll see that he's done like a bajillion voices for yeah. cartoons. We and, recognized him as uh, Wolverine from Wolverine and the X-Men. Sky yeah. X-Men Evolution. Or X-Men Evolution. <laughs> and, you know, and he just had a comedy background. So whenever he was on set, he was just always being funny and just always like you saw how he played that character just yeah. ridiculous and <laughs> you know he was very much like, yeah in tune. yeah like, like david lee roth would have been more subtle and it's <laughs> with his, but but you know that was what was great he just ah, you know he just turned it all into that and it was just we we were always laughing at the end of the takes and you know <laughs> and you know that's really what you need when you're doing a show like that because it could be just brutal just doing those hours but uh <laughs> You know, then you then you just like you know what we're putting people in Ninja Turtle suits and we're r- having them run around and do dumb things and you know and and I didn't get to do a lot of stunt crew stuff but the stuff I did get to see was amazing like watching guys get yanked through breakaway walls but with a cable <laughs> attached to their back and you know launched off of pneumatic platforms into piles of boxes and those guys were amazing like that, that does like sound pretty some- awesome. Some of those stunt guys, like imagine, I can't imagine doing it in, you know, with nothing on, but like these guys in those suits with those big shells hanging off their back and almost blind could like (laughs) do a flip and land on their feet again without even running up. They could just be standing still and then just go boom, flip over and land on their feet again. And just like, because they, they, I mean, most of the stunt guys, they had to be small, like all the actors and all the stunt guys had to be fairly small because they're not big characters so uh you know they were all in the five foot range i think uh and so like most of the stunt guys came from like martial arts uh and gymnastics backgrounds so like one of the guys like kickboxing champion of the world at one point (laughs) really you know so, so these guys could just you know do these crazy like fly through the air and flip and it was just awesome to watch them like there's stuntmen who are like can do falls and stuntmen who can drive cars and they're just totally different skill sets. But like <laughs> guys who do martial arts, you know, and that kind of stuff, it's just it's just amazing to watch them because it's the gymnastics and uh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was fun. It sounds like they're literal actual ninjas if they can go from a stand to a backflip mm-hmm. or whatever. That's mm-hmm. that sounds cooler than the show ever would even allow. Like <laughs> yeah. They won't let children watch people beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it's it's funny. I mean, what was the thing with uh, it was like in England, they couldn't show nunchucks. Or yeah, something? they had that? to change. They couldn't even say ninja. They had to change it to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Oh, that's right. Nunchucks. That yeah. also might be why Michelangelo has Tanfa in uh, Nutation. Yeah. What else? Yeah, in the original cartoon, like he stops using the nunchucks and just has that grappling hook that they all had. <laughs> yeah. That his grabber. <laughs> yeah, and now like 
I'm a bit older, so uh, <laughs> like I, um, you know, I, I'm more from the generation of like Star Wars and you know, Alien, all that, and Blade Runner, and all that kind of stuff. And so, like, the Ninja Turtles kind of came along when I was kind of originally, like, when I was kind of early college, and so I, I, I didn't grow up watching Ninja Turtles as a child uh. and so when I got this job I kind of had a crash course in Ninja Turtle lore and just <laughs> to kind of like I had never really learned all the inside uh scoop on you know what all the different characters are so it's it's kind of a fun crash course in that and now I you know but but you, now, you, but now we yeah. have to go back because you said the secret uh-huh. word because I can give a crap about Ninja Turtles um <laughs> you said Star Wars is is that one of the like you know every special effects person is like oh, yeah. I saw Star Wars and that did it is that your story? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So so I was eleven when Star Wars came out. So okay. I was kind of and and like it's it's hard to imagine that you know pre Star Wars there was nothing like Star Wars right. at all. You know. <laughs> so like I remember just you know my first experience of seeing it in the theater and just being like what is this and you know like and and then of course after that for the next couple years there was a lot of for the first time like behind the scenes of like how movies are made and special effects a lot of that stuff with that and you know and i was already doing some like super eight film not eight millimeter video but it's like literally super eight film (laughs) uh stop motion and i was already kind of making home movies so star wars really made me like oh my god this is awesome and (laughs) i mean and i i ended up going to film school uh and then i mean i i haven't exclusively done special effects but when i got out i had done a lot of art department stuff so i got jobs building the props and then that led to you know one of the shops i worked at the guy saying hey you know how to machine here let me show you and i just (laughs) picked up a lot of skills over the years and uh uh, I've been doing that, and I mean, lately I've been doing actually a lot more computer graphics, uh, m- more for for graphic design purposes. But uh, uh, you know, yeah, I it's it's all I use I use it all. It's just all in different areas. So yeah, but it's all really cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, for me, it's I, I, what I like is to I like the I like figuring out how to do something that you don't know you don't have the solution when you go in. It's not like, like I imagine if I installed countertops, you know, I would know how to install a countertop and it would just be, there'd be some little challenges to the job. But what I like about special effects is you just kind of go, I have no idea how I'm going to do this. And then you just have to figure it out, you know? It's awesome. Was there ever a point in the shooting or whatever where they asked you to build something and you didn't know how to do it or like, did you have to um, ever make anything whole cloth? We didn't have to do a lot of building of stuff on set because we didn't really provide, we weren't providing the props or any of the special like stuff for particular episodes. We we had a set of costumes that we were representing for the Kyoto brothers. And so basically, you know, sometimes we'd have to adapt to the situation, like I was telling you with the making one eye blink when we didn't have our program designed to do that. But uh, they had some great art department people up there who were building the, you know, like when they did the robot versions, they built that extra stuff to put on and, you know, <laughs> right. 
Did you got were you guys responsible for the ape in the episode where Raph and the, and Bone Steel get caught in that haunted house? No, no, that was uh, that was a lot of times with these animal costumes. The costume will be owned by a performer who's really good at playing that particular <laughs> oh, really? animal, really? and and you'll rent them out as a unit, and they'll huh. come to the set. Uh, yeah, I have a a friend who does bear suits and has appeared on every, you know everything from Saturday Night Live to you know whatever all, all different shows and commercials <laughs> yeah and uh so this guy was a guy that they had they brought in he had a, a really good uh gorilla suit and he took care of it and you know and he was the only one to handle it we didn't have to handle his <laughs> suit and uh the actually kind of a funny story that that was what i what i like to think of as my the best day of work i ever had uh was <laughs> was on that episode because it was there was the haunted house and there was what it was ju- it was just Raphael in that one right yeah yeah pretty much and Leo and Donnie like hanging out around a couch a little yeah. bit yeah but but mostly the main shoot was in the haunted house with the gorilla and Raphael and so it was a really easy episode for our crew because we only had one turtle the whole time you know so <laughs> yeah and uh, I remember coming to set and I was always tired because you know, when you have only six hours off between shoot, you know, between 14 hour days, by the time you get home, you're going to maybe get four hours if yeah. you could get right to sleep, you know, cause you have travel time and eating and mostly I'd eat on the set and stuff. But anyway, I got there this one morning, I was tired and then I looked at the call sheet and Raphael's call time was like, three or four hours into the day. So like there was nothing for me to do for like three or four hours. And I was like, Oh man, like I, I could have just come in later. This is like the one day I could have slept in. And, and so I was kind of bummed out, but, uh, but I was friends with Mitch who played Raphael, Raphael. And I was like, Mitch won't mind if I go in his dressing room, it, you know, it's in the truck. Like, and I just kind of crash out on his thing. And then when he shows up, I'll be like, cool. You know, like he's here now. I, I'll get him dressed. I'll get him ready, and we'll we'll get the thing shot. So I like laid down on this thing, and I was so tired, I just totally passed out. And then, and then I like woke up. And I was like surprised that Mitch hadn't shown up and like woken me. And I felt really weirdly rested. <laughs> and I went, I went out, and like Mitch had seen me sleeping and been like, I won't bother him. And he just got himself <laughs> dressed and like went and. And our suits were really well made and they, they, they were great. Uh, but like I had just, I slept for like, I don't know, like eight hours or something oh, and got paid, got paid handsomely for it. So, uh, but I mean, the, the, the thing is that the, uh, uh, the suits that we built and I would say it's, I, I'm not the main person responsible for the reliability of it. Uh, Wes Kafer, the main mechanic, um, had a lot more experience than me. His, you know, his knowledge, uh, kind of making the mechanical part of it work well, was, you know, he was excellent. And then Tom Costin is uh, the guy who designed the electronics, and he came up with us. He was kind of our our main guy representing the Kyoto Brothers, and uh, he designed great electronics for it. And with Imagine, okay, so there's 16 servos times five turtles times three heads. Yikes. So that's a lot of yeah. possible failure. <laughs> and uh, oh my goodness, yeah. And we all, I think we only replaced like four or five servos the entire time. Oh, really? Uh, that's a the only like 
Yeah, that was the, the only amount, like, because uh, part of it was that Tom Costin designed these like really great control systems where if there was a loss of power, the servos would, this is kind of getting technical, but they wouldn't drive all the way to the end of their motion, which is what usually kills the servo is like, it'll try to keep going. It won't stop and it'll push up against something where it can't move and just strip out its gears on the inside mm-hmm. and he designed it so if there was a loss of power they would just stop in place and you could set limits and they were just elegantly designed and but i mean i i think our crew there were days when the generator caught on fire <laughs> and uh we had to wait half a day for the the rental company to come and replace the generator mm-hmm. and it was downtime so i think our crew costs cost the production the least amount of downtime of any of the crews which considering the fact we're the only crew that built our own equipment from scratch like i feel pretty proud of that yeah. uh <laughs> achievement because uh you know there's there's lots of stuff that would go wrong and it was yeah it was it was a, it was a fun time and we uh the other thing was this, the uh the communication system uh the tom costin uh he had built this thing with uh he used what are they like microwave wireless modems that were i guess were designed for industrial robots to talk to each other like in a warehouse or something okay (laughs) like really awesome technology and i think tom was a guy who went to school to be to get like an aerospace engineering degree and he worked in that field for a little bit and then he didn't like the corporate structure so then he just started building radio control helicopter cameras and all kinds of he's just a genius crazy genius guy <laughs> and uh so he uh like he had donatello. built yeah yeah he, he was the real donatello yeah I, I guess i guess realistically i'm more of a mikey <laughs> you know, aren't we more all? The, yeah um no i'm kind of a buzzkill so i'm more like leonardo oh yeah yeah no, like, yeah they I think the one you don't want to be is Raphael. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's, he's cool. He's, he's the one you like to look at, but you wouldn't actually want to have to be him. Uh, but the, these wireless modems, they were amazing because like he was smart because he's like, we're going to be on a set. There's going to be radio. There's going to be, you know, walkie talkies going. There's going to be radio controlled focus for the camera. The sound guys are going to be sending stuff through radio waves like we we want to stay out of that spectrum entirely and so that's why he did this whole microwave modem thing yeah and that is brilliant they were yeah and they were super reliable and there was only one time when we had our signal knocked out and we were up on a roof right alongside the the water you know in vancouver has a lot of waterways cutting through it and we're up on an industrial building's roof shooting a fight or something in the middle of the night and suddenly we lost control of the puppets and we're like, Oh, what's going on? And then we looked and we saw that a, an oil, like an oil tanker was drifting right past us. And like the ship radar knocked us out. Like, I was like, okay, that's, that's not so bad. I, you know, massive. It was like 30 feet away. Just, you know, it's massive thing. It's nice. Blasting us. I'm like, okay, that's, I can live with that. Yeah, I guess if it takes an industrial oil tanker to knock you out. <laughs> yeah. Can't be that mad. Yeah. But yeah, it was, I have a few good friends still that I'm, I still stay in touch with and uh, uh, mostly like with Facebook and stuff nowadays. But 
it's you know it's kind of when you spend a half a year sitting around with people it's like you, you do get especially like people you find like oh okay here's somebody we can like talk about like how like what a good batman movie would be if we <laughs> our dream Bat- you know like if, if you find somebody you can have that conversation with then you're like okay now we can entertain ourselves all day that's- that was right around the time of the worst batman movie <laughs> yeah well yeah this is before any of the the serious batman movies yeah. or yeah in the in the show itself you will find some uh advertisements for batman or robin in the background <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh man yeah, it's it was it was a real drought of uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that superhero. I mean, it that's the thing. It's like I, I guess I, I'm old enough now that when people are getting really offended by a particular Marvel movie or something like that, I'm kind of like, yeah, but you know what? Like I can remember when you know there there wasn't any like Lord of the Rings for like sword and sorcery movies. Like the best you could get was like Beastmaster. Like that was, which is a great movie. Like that that Beastmaster was great because it knew it 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 knew its corniness and it and it rolled in it and had fun with it, right? Like I can remember when well I mean before Star Wars, I remember when sci-fi was just, you know, all cheap and lame and you know there were a few standouts where I was like, wow, you know, that was kind of cool that, but you know, I mean, did you guys ever see damnation alley? I've never even heard of it. Uh, Oh, it's, it's kind of an awesome, I mean, but it's from like 76. So like when you, if you saw it now, you'd be like, that's so dated looking, but to think (laughs) that it's pretty much right before star Wars, you know, everything for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. But damnation alley is like, like, uh, a post-nuclear thing and these guys have to they're trying to get to a place that's safe and they have some kind of an awesome armored vehicle that was an actual physical thing that was built and for years you could see it here in hollywood at the car customization place parked alongside (laughs) it and it was always like oh the damnation alley vehicle (laughs) um yeah yeah look check it out there's there's giants scorpions in it and it's like it's like jan michael vincent or somebody like that and it's it's like but it's super weird and cheap and dated and it's because like before star wars you know the rule that executives had was sci-fi isn't you know it's gonna is for kids it's not gonna be a big huge blockbuster (laughs) so don't give them a big budget you know the merchandise rights that's fine (laughs) yeah i mean what star wars was nine million or something Something like you that. know, like nine million nowadays is like a movie with an independent film with two characters sitting in a room talking <laughs> yeah. to each other, you know, <laughs> like nine million is nothing, for, you know, and, you know, and, and superheroes were the same way for the longest time. It's superheroes. were going to be kid movies or shows. <laughs> and, and now they have now now they have the biggest budgets because they can pull in an audience. So, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm just. like i never would have thought i'd live to see the day that there'd be like all the marvel characters having their own movies (laughs) and some time yeah it's it's you know so i'm i'm you know like when people got mad about warcraft or you know (laughs) something like that i'm like you know what i remember when all these movies were ten thousand times worse than this so i can't really get mad about i just go yeah it's not (laughs) it's not the first lord of the rings movies but it's, I'm not going to, I can't be offended by them or anything. So, 
but you know, that's just my opinion <laughs> right on you're not well, wrong um i think sky got a few questions from uh fans of ours on yeah, twitter yeah. oh cool I put out the call on twitter and i got some uh yeah. questions um mm-hmm. our buddy alan sells mm-hmm. wanted to know uh what was the most tricky piece about working with the animatronics hmm in i wonder if you meant building or pup- in like when we were working with the puppeteering you're answering so you get to decide <laughs> hmm I mean, the trickiest thing for, I guess I'll answer them both. (laughs) The trickiest thing when we were building would be just figuring out how to fit it all into the small amount of space. Because if you, if, if you compare our heads to the movie Ninja Turtle heads, like they were much more cartoony and bloated, you know, we had fairly (laughs) lean, muscly looking Mm -hmm. Ninja Turtles compared to the the movie ones right yeah yeah the first so, movie the end the, a lot of the mechanics as i understand it were in the shells and then they moved them into the head for two mm-hmm. or three yeah that's right and and i know one of them they they decided that the idea was that if you can make the mouth move really quickly it'll look more natural than kind of slow motion so i think it's three and if you look at the mouths they're just always like super fast the way they move they're just like you know it's almost too much though and (laughs) but you know you're you're always trying i mean the thing that that's i mean even when when practical effects is done nowadays it's still a completely different world than it was in those days because the hardest job used to be where do you put the puppeteers and how (laughs) can you how can you connect people how can you puppeteer these things because you couldn't just have a guy in a green suit stand next to it with, with a <laughs> green stick and just remove them later. You know, yeah. you had to, the puppeteers would have to be under, the set would have to be built up off the floor and the puppeteers would have to be reaching up through the floor or they'd, everything would have to be fed through a tiny little cable of, with multiple, uh, you know, uh, cable actuator, like pull, push pull, like a bike you know, a pipe break kind of thing, but tiny ones or it has to be wireless. Um, you know, like I, uh, one of the things I worked on for Rick Lazzarini was the last Budweiser frogs commercial which <laughs> yeah. going way back. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, every one of those frogs had three puppeteers really? and one guy was holding his breath underwater, moving really? the, the frog's <laughs> body position. And and we they had mic they had big loud speakers that could blast underwater and they could hear the director say action and stuff. It would be like a you know it all muffled. And then uh, I was standing nearby with a little floating platform, and I was controlling the mouth opening and closing and the throat inflating and deflating and the little so we could get that. And then somebody was standing on the shore, and this is e- for each one of the frogs uh, doing the eye motion and blinks and stuff with radio control. But so it's, it was three people for one little frog and some of the people had to be right there holding their breath and stuff. And, you know, <laughs> they nowadays it would just be a guy in a green suit standing right next to it, making it do whatever it needed to do, right. you know? So it like computers, I mean, I, for me, the, I like the I like that computers exist because I think you know if, uh, for movie effects, um, but I do like that combination of practical and computers and using computers to make practical effects better, yeah, rather than completely replace them. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, 
There's so. just something more. There's a lot more charm when you have That's a practice. Yeah. Fury Road is so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fury Road is amazing. You know, and because you, you know that you're looking at a real car exploding. Yeah. And real acrobats on poles. Yeah. Start to so laying it, on a moving well, and car. You know, and think about like, it, I mean, if you, you can go all the way back to like Buster Keaton and, you know, and like <laughs> yeah. you watch Buster Keaton and he like falls off a building and you're like, wait, he just actually fell off a building. Yeah, there's literally a thing in a Buster Keaton movie where he he's the gag was that he jumps between two buildings that are like three stories tall. Like you can't even mm-hmm. see the ground in the shot. He jumps over and he and he didn't jump far enough and he hits the side of the other building and falls straight down. Jeez. And that just happened as a mistake. Right. It just like he just was going <laughs> to he just went for it and he didn't make it. And then like when he got up and he was all bruised and stuff, he was like, OK, here's what I want to do. Give me another shot where I hit this awning and bounce off it. And I and, and he, he just added shots to the sequence so he could take advantage of this awesome fall that he had, you know? <laughs> Like, but like, there's something about like, when you're watching that, you know, that that's a real guy. Like you can feel it, Yeah, you know, and that's, you know, even Jackie Chan movies or, you know, like you get that feeling like, okay, this is something that they actually did. And it, there's, uh, the showmanship level of seeing somebody actually do something versus like, th- there's no amount of, you know, spectacle that you could create with all CG that makes somebody go, wow, I just saw something magical it's just kind of like oh that's cool looking you know but you're never like wow like that cg guy that fell off a 500 story building and hit the ground and didn't die like that was an amazing stunt you don't you know you because you, you know they they could have done ten thousand stories it's, yeah yeah maybe now i'm ranting that. off topic <laughs> fine. but maybe that's why i didn't like the michael bay produced uh, uh digital movies that much yeah or at all i did not care for them at all well you know what? i i have uh friends from the makeup business and stuff and one you know guys who are good sculptors and we were having big discussions when those character designs came out and i was like mm-hmm. and, I, and I we pretty much came to the conclusion that if you look at the face the problem is that they're mammal faces yes. they might be green but they're definitely mammals and like why <laughs> you know <laughs> That's the big like, question. Why do you have to... Yeah. I believe I literally said those words. Yeah. Wow. Why are you doing that? That's why but I don't yeah. see movies with it, you anymore. It's very off-putting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our next yeah. question, Sky. Yes. Um, we kind of already touched on it. It's from James Fletcher, uh, former guest of the show. And he asked, how do they match the Dragon Lord's lift movements to the dialogue? Was somebody actually on the set? Uh, but we already answered that. Yeah, that was me. Yep. <laughs> I, I came I came first and then then all the real actors had to, like uh what is it? I, I have the names up in front of me. Gerald Wong was in the suit, big big bulky guy. Um <laughs> and then I, I never met the guy who did the voice, Christopher <laughs> Gaze, according to the wiki article in front of me. But uh <laughs> but apparently, you know, he would get the footage from the set and then he would do the final dialogue in the studio. Um, but yeah, it was pretty much me performing it on the set while I puppeteered the mouth. And then, um, so cause you want to do that. You want to have the person reading the lines being the one who puppeteers the mouth because you kind of need to, you don't want to have to be chasing a mouth mo- motion. Right, you want to just, right, yeah. 
move your thumb as you talk so you can go bring me the tur you know and like hit <laughs> hit the act you know you know where where you need to move your the jaw and so uh right you know and, and i i just any chance to just get on a set and yell like i'm a <laughs> super villain like that sounds That's awesome a, yeah it seems wonderful <laughs> Yell at a yell at a crowd of soldiers. Destroy them! You know, just all like it's just awesome. That is pretty. That was, those are those are fun days. Uh, he also asked. There was a an episode where uh, it was King Wick, where Dragon Lord was walking around <laughs> holding Wick, and yeah, I noticed that he looked a lot like he was possibly puppeting himself like the <laughs> actor in the Dragon Lord costume looked like he was pu- or puppeteering the Wick puppet i think yeah it's kind of i i i believe that on wider shots he would have been just puppeteering it himself and then (laughs) and then when you got in close like in tight behind him would have been bill and adam reaching their arms through and doing the the the, (laughs) you know reaching through and and poor bill and adam like they they were you know they they worked together they had their they had a company together at the time and uh (laughs) But there were a lot of days when like the two of them would just doing wick would be like basically laying on top of each other and sweating <laughs> and just they had to be. <laughs> uh, it's that this, kind of thing that kept me out of puppeteering. <laughs> yeah, it was just, yeah, you, you have to get kind of, you, you're going to get very f- familiar with each other's <laughs> odors and yeah, you're going to spend a lot of time up close and and personal with people and puppeteering uh yeah uh i think that is all the questions we've gotten from twitter um and we've already answered most of my questions as we went through (laughs) covered everything i was thinking this has been uh insanely informative so cool what else have you been in? Like you mentioned the Budweiser frogs and I would have never even thought of that. Like, is yeah. there any other obscure puppeteering you've done? Uh, well, obscure. usually I don't do the puppeteering myself. Uh, I'm usually, I like, I haven't done a lot of creature mechanic stuff in recent years. When that industry started changing, uh, basically when computers started getting good at doing creatures and not just vehicles <laughs> sure. and buildings, uh i kind of was like oh yeah i can see where this is going and i um i mean one of the things i did when i got back from the ninja turtles thing is because i was on set every day and eating set food so i didn't have to and and living in a apartment provided by the kyoto brothers that was beautiful that that they were so nice to give me like i didn't really spend money for half a year and i made really (laughs) good money so when I got back, I had a lot of money in the bank and I, I ended up doing production design on a stop motion short called more that we did in IMAX format. And, uh, nice. basically I had enough money in the bank that I could afford. I think on, they paid me a little bit of money on more, but I think I made like $50 a month more than my rent or something. <laughs> so not, you know, I, I definitely needed, uh, uh, some savings to even, have the luxury of working on that sure. but that was uh mark osborne who went on to do kung fu panda and he just did uh the little prince in france uh that's now on netflix nice uh there's like a but so those are both cg things but this was a uh, stop motion short and uh i could well i could send you the link to this but uh, i just found it <laughs> it's on youtube yeah yeah more it's it it 
it got um it got nominated for an oscar for an animated short and it uh it was the best short at sundance i believe in 99 that's if awesome. I have my year correct and so we got to go to sundance and be on in that whole you know that was really fun um <laughs> but yeah i mean i i kind of i didn't set out to specifically be a mechanical guy that was just kind of something i was good at on the side but i'm more of a designer and a an artist so uh i use the money to be able to do more uh production design oriented stuff and because of doing that stuff i started doing a lot of production design i i, I was never into doing large-scale production design because i i'm not a construction foreman or a moving guy <laughs> you know like that's a lot of that job uh so i did a lot of tabletop size stuff so i did stop motion and i also did a lot of um title sequence stuff like when they did um uh the remake of willard with uh, crispin glover oh, there yes, is yeah. there's a title sequence to that and you could find that one on that uh the, the art of the title the art of the title uh i think is the name of the site and it's like title sequences and like that you can watch and then you can read interviews with people who design the title sequences and stuff. Cool. It's kind of a cool website, but uh, we got to do one that was uh, like, it was built. Like I got to build a bunch of stuff that looked like it was old dusty shelves in a basement full of rusty old things and cobwebs and, <laughs> you know, and, and we would do motion control across them and find the different title cards nice. and then, and make, this kind of real visceral kind of stuff and it's there's the crew that did that stuff we were, we had some problems with the way that some of it was shot like it they kind of blew a couple of our cool gags but uh <laughs> but you know we had a stop motion rat skeleton that a guy actually took a dead rat and took its skeleton out and carefully turned it into an animatable awesome it's uh, amazing and it stunk. It was stinky, <laughs> and oh, it was nasty. And uh, yeah, so I did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and then lately, I've been doing. I, I taught myself computer stuff because, of course, I graduated from uh, college in '90, so the <laughs> the computers weren't really a part of the the uh, learning experience at that time. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, I mean, I went to art center and so like I like Zack Snyder was just a little ahead of me and <laughs> a few other people like that. So it's kind of weird that some of those guys are huge now and yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and random. And uh, uh, so I, I kind of started teaching myself a lot of the computer stuff as I was getting older and I saw the technology changing and I did a bunch of I, I, I kind of learned doing 3D animation on modern marvels. Like just here's how to do a steam turbine or, you know, do like those kind of <laughs> nice. you know, little demonstration graphics. I was kind of, I taught myself that way. And, and lately I've been doing some, uh, a lot of uh, working on the crew that's been doing all the packaging for DVD releases of the Netflix Marvel shows. Oh, cool. Oh. Uh, so like, I think my artwork is on the cover of Daredevil season two uh, DVD. The, the the Blu-ray is like a Joe Caseta artwork, so it's kind of like it's kind of like oh that's cool. I'll, 
that one's Joe Caseta. That one's mine. Like I, I'll, I'll be in, I'll be in that company. That's cool. Yeah, that's a good list <laughs> to be on. That is not bad. Yeah. And uh, so I've been working on some of those, and then I'm doing a short film of my own. So oh, Brad, uh, I'm. Can you tell uh, us anything about it, or? It's a. I'll just say it's a comedic Twilight Zone. It'll probably be about ten minutes long. But I've been building <laughs> a big. Uh, I, th- this whole summer, I've been building in my spare time a big, high tech holding cell that fits into a corner <laughs> of a room. Awesome. Uh, I it's not what i'm using it for in the thing but you can picture it as like your classic like super villain holding cell where it's like mm-hmm. a plexiglass door on it and ah, right uh and that, that's another thing maybe you guys will have an insight on this uh i always wonder like because a lot of times you'll see you can read into like what a society is going through by like what themes keep popping up in artwork sure. and i'm like what what was it that for a while that every movie had the villain that would get caught on purpose, get locked up in a plexiglass room <laughs> so they could sneer and go, this is all part of my plan. Like every movie had that, right? Because Loki, yep. uh, the Joker, uh, yep. I can't remember the name in, in James Bond, the uh, Javier Bardem character. That's out of my uh, field of knowledge. Yeah. But you know, like, but they all, like they, every one of those movies had the guy like, that's my plan. I'm going to get yeah. caught on purpose. I'm going to sit in a plexiglass <laughs> room, sneer at you, and then you'll see my plan work. work. And, you know, so basically it looks like that. And I've been building it and it's got LED lighting in cool. the doorway and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I don't really want to give away the twist ending oh, or anything. We, yeah, so don't do that. You can do that off mic. <laughs> yes. But so basically, I mean, the, the, the premise of the movie is a guy gets, uh, a rental in a uh, a place we, we never say where it takes place, but you can imagine it's like Manhattan or San Francisco where the rent's really ridiculously impossibly high. <laughs> and he gets a rental super cheap, but the catch is there's going to be a guy in this high, this cell in the corner of the room and you just can't let him out. And it's like, so can, can you put up with just having a, a guy sitting there looking at you sad <laughs> while you're trying to live your life? And, <laughs> and, so that's, and I, I i've been writing with uh some people who are like really good people in comedy and uh and we've been working on stuff for a long time and we've mild success and got like one show optioned but it didn't go anywhere but that's that's normally you know you, you get something that seemed like they're gonna buy your thing in hollywood and it's maybe a five percent chance that anything will ever happen out of it but I got some really great people to be in it, and when it's all done, I'll I'll send you guys a link. You can yes, watch awesome. it. Yeah, that would be spectacular. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. No, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just trying to get my get my ideas out there because I mean that's the thing. I, I I set out to be a filmmaker, and then I I you know I had skills to build things, and I ended up getting into a lot of that stuff and being more on the art end of things but still trying to still write and get get some of my own ideas out there yeah to be fair that's basically the same path that the mythbusters had so you know yeah you're in good company so yeah (laughs) i know those those guys are great i i i I so recognize like the kind of guy those guys are like right when that show (laughs) came out i'm like i don't know those guys personally but like i know guys just like them (laughs) you know and and that's i mean that was the one of the reasons why I started learning computers is because I'm like, you know what? I'm not, 
the best of the best of guys doing mechanical stuff. And I was like, when, when the, the jobs start getting fewer and fewer, I know who the people who are going to still be working are, and it's not going to be me. So I better, <laughs> you know, cause I didn't grow up. I mean, some of those guys grow up with dads who had machine shops in their garage and they learned to, right. you know, precision. Like one of the guys I worked with on mimic ended up being like robot wars champion the first year you know because he could build <laughs> really? you know so yeah like there's a level of mechanical guys that are just genius i'm, I'm just a guy who can kind of like go like uh maybe if i put this here and put that there it'll work. oh yeah it works cool <laughs> you know and i just i just kind of improvise and nothing wrong with that figure figure it out as i go it's just because i get bored if i'm doing something <laughs> that's not challenging so <laughs> yeah All right, well Thank you so much again for uh, for coming on our podcast and telling us a little more about the production and stuff. That this has been just wonderful. Yeah, thanks well, for posting on that website. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for uh, contacting me. It's nice to. There's a lot of people in the film business who work behind the scenes, and it's nice to have somebody like reach out and say, "Hey, you're what you did is cool." Like, yeah, it's super cool. In hearing, yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's nice because it's like. You know, I mean, for every when when you see those, you know, five hundred names at the end of a big epic movie, <laughs> know that there's probably another ten thousand people who worked on it that aren't listed in the credits. You know, because there's a ton of people that just don't make it to the credits, and it's just uh, like I'm that Kyoto Brothers were allowed to put up two names uh, of the three of us who went up, so I'm I'm not in the credits of. <laughs> oh. So, so if anybody looks up uh, the show and my, doesn't find my name there, I'm not lying. I actually was there. I have pictures. Of, <laughs> if you're have, lying, you had a very good, well thought, yeah, detailed I, lie. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm actually the guy who the uh, movie Catch Me If You Can is based on. <laughs> uh, well, this has we... just been a very long stalling tactic, and the police are closing <laughs> in on you. <laughs> uh. Well, yeah, and thank. I mean, it, it's great. It's it's just it's great to talk to people, and I'm I love talking to people who are excited about and passionate about uh, all this cool nerdy stuff because it's it's fun stuff to talk about. I think so. It absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to cool. talk about Star Wars. So. <laughs> yeah. Like I I was a kid who grew up watching Wild Wild West, and so <laughs> the Wild Wild West movies like did not do it for me. Because they weren't the original show was original show. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever went that far back because you guys look young, but uh, <laughs> that's ancient now to you guys. But uh, that show was like James Bond in the old west with crazy Jules Verne villains. You know, that does sound pretty. Awesome. And and like like when I saw that, I was like, oh man, if this would have been given to Sam Raimi or the Coen brothers or something, it could have just been ridiculous, you know, but, but then we wouldn't have gotten a giant metal spider. <laughs> yeah. And you wouldn't add like <laughs> a guy acting cool, you know, as James, Hey, I'm James. West. Yeah. And it's just, Oh, we're not, we're and then spare you. We won't wrap the rap because sky and I know it. <laughs> it's <sweet. laughs> oh, awesome. That, that is awesome. Even if I don't want to hear it. <laughs> All right. Well, Guy? thanks guys thank you thank you so much for coming on it this has been fantastic talking to you about all this uh goofy stuff oh, cool i 
I'm happy I'm I, at least making sense with what I'm saying because it was a long time ago and I'm like I luckily I was able to pull up the names of everybody in front of me because I I'm horrible with names and I would have forgotten half the people's <laughs> names after all these years. Well, thanks. After the end of that, you put a little chicken squawk and you go, hey, thanks uh, again for Rick uh, for joining us for that awesome interview. He told some great stories. It was really cool of him to be here. And uh, we really appreciate it. Yes, all of those things. It was very gracious of him to uh, give us his time, especially since his son's birthday was earlier this day. He was able to fit us in and we got to learn a whole bunch of really neat stuff. Again, thank you very much for joining us on this uh, silly podcast that we do. You can find Rick at rickorner.com, where you can look at all of his neat stuff. We'll have some of the stuff that he mentioned in the, the interview linked in the in the deal. In the show description. Yeah, in the deal. And uh, thank you very much for listening. It was, it was a pleasure having Rick on, and thank you guys for listening to us talk to him. Not sure why I said that so super weirdly. I don't know. You're going to have to do so much editing to make this sound natural. You know, I'm going to have to, like, the interview itself, I'm going to edit very little. It's yeah. just fucking four minutes of an intro You're and outro. so I'm not working. Uh, <clears throat> thank you guys very much for listening. You said the same thing like nine times. Yeah, I know. I can pick one, though. <laughs> okay, that's fair. You going to put a chicken squawk like they do in the show? <laughs> Wild Wild West, West, Jim West, Desperada, Rough Rider. No, you don't want nada. None of this six-gunning is brother running this buffalo soldier. Look, it's like I told you. Any Any damsel that's in distress, be out of that dress when she meets Jim West. Roughneck, go check a law and abide. Watch your step while you Uh, get flex. uh, Get a hole in your sides while you pride. Don't let your lip react. You don't want to see my hand where my hip be at. With Artemis from the start of this, running the game. James West, taming the West. So remember the name. Now who you gonna call? Let the G be. Now who you gonna call G. and if you ever riff with be with one, one of us right now before you get bum rushed at the wild wild west i think that's good yeah <laughs> that's just gonna be our intro from now on absolutely <laughs> very little prompting on that uh yes put right in you uh, know that part that i always forget yeah uh, I think we both stumbled over at least one spot. Whatever, it's, it, it's probably better that way. And then, uh, and here's here's my other pitch to all nerds out there: the 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 movie that I think they're now too old and it's never going to happen. But the pairing that I would have loved to have seen the two characters that would have been the best to put together would have been Ash Williams and uh, Jack Burton. Uh, mm-hmm. Team up of ash williams from uh uh evil dead evil dead and jack burton from big trouble little china (laughs) (laughs) put those take those two characters put them together let let them go to like maybe they go to china and they're they're fighting with chinese deadites or something (laughs) and it's just two guys who are like super cocky but also don't really have the skills to back up their cockiness both <laughs> blundering through an adventure like I, that would have been i can't the believe this hasn't been a comic book yet yeah that uh, sounds too good to not have been done yeah if if anybody 
listening to this makes that as a comic book just please like let me know about it so i can read it because <laughs> that's that would be my dream mashup of nerd characters two of but, them on uh, the pork shop express <laughs> yeah I feel, I feel like idw owns the rights to both of those properties for comic books yeah it feels so funny. idw i know mm-hmm. you're listening yeah <laughs> <laughs>